the rest of us, we're going to be taking a look this morning at a, a pair of passages in the Gospel of John. And you see, this gets uh, to this point in the life of Jesus, this life of this real human Jesus of Nazareth, as he looked at his followers, at his disciples, and he realized that he wasn't going to be there, that he was going away, that, that he was leaving, and not just for those men who sat in that room with him, but for all of those who would follow after them, even us here today, that they would live a life devoted to him, a life united with him, but they would live that life not being able to see him, not being able to know him, to walk on the street or to have him come take a look at what was going on in their life. And so Jesus here at the end of John, as he anticipates his leaving first in death and then in his ascension to heaven, Jesus prepares them. He tells them his final things, the things he wants them to know. And so for this week and, and actually the next three weeks after, we're going to be looking at the different themes and, and components of what Jesus is saying here in this last message. And so uh, today we're going to be taking a look at two chunks out of, out of those three chapters here. So I invite you to follow with me. It's printed in your bulletin. I'm going to start in John chapter 13, verse 31. And when Judas, that is, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I come again? I will, t I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. 
later, he says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what is this? So they were saying, what does this mean? What does he mean by saying a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will, will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and I have, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, we come to you as those who have never uh, seen your face in its physical form, Lord, who have never heard your voice as it came out of your mouth, and yet, Lord, we are still marked by this going, this little while period. Father, I pray that as we look at this ancient text and as we hear words that can at times sound almost cryptic. Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would bring understanding, that you, by your Spirit, would bring faith, that you, by your Spirit, would bring hope for this hour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I remember saying it to an empty car. Uh, as I threw, uh, so confidently threw my 88 Mercury Topaz into fifth gear, as I went across the Illinois River coming home from a date, I said to the empty car, I'm going to marry her. I am going to marry her. Now, if I knew what I was saying, if I knew what those words meant, I probably wouldn't have been so confident. See, it was our third date. Uh, we were 18, right? We had started dating just at the end of the summer, just in, in the earliest of August, and, and I was about to leave, move away, go to college, and, and be uh, just a couple hours away, but in so many ways, a lifetime away, right? Those of you who left to go away to school know a little something of that. 
So when I said I'm going to marry her, I wasn't just that I was like overcome with emotion, though, I mean, let's be honest, clearly I was, right? I wasn't fully thinking in my right mind, but I was also trying to do a calculation. I was also trying to convince myself that she was worth it, right? Because my friends, my friends, when, when I told them that, that I'd started dating this girl named Whitney Hatfield, they thought, whoa, 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 whoa. What, you're, you're leaving in like four weeks. What are you doing starting a new relationship with this girl? Like, are you out of your mind? And, and they thought, I mean, like, this is the exact opposite, right? Like, you get to this stage, you're supposed to be saying goodbye to the hometown girls, right, for the, the potential gains of this new crowd of ladies. Of course, when I was like, I mean, really, do you think I could do better than Whitney Hatfield? They're like, okay. That actually does make some sense, right? That actually does make some sense. But I knew, I knew that it was hard. I knew that it, it wouldn't exactly be fun. I knew that it wouldn't be what all of my friends in my new dorm hall were going to be doing to have this brand new relationship. And so as I drove home that day, I was making a calculation that this difficulty, these trials, that they would be worth it because in the end, I was going to have the biggest payout of all, right? I was going to marry this girl. Jesus, when he's looking at these disciples, he is looking at them on the front end of a long-distance relationship, right? Jesus, up to this point, had, had walked and, and talked with these disciples, right? He had, he had shown them miracles that they could see, and he, he, he told them stories that would lock into their memories forever. He showed them compassion and, and grace and love as he sat and ate with them, but Jesus was about to leave. And he knew the confusion was going to set in on these men after his departure. He knew that, the, the, that the, the, this relationship of great promise was about to experience a very difficult hardship. And so Jesus decides to give them warning on that night before his arrest. He gives them warning and he says, it's just a little bit longer that I am with you. And then I'm going to be leaving this world and going to the Father. The disciples, as we read this, are locked in utter confusion, and how could they make sense of it? In fact, how can we make sense of it, right? Because the situation hasn't changed for us either. While thousands of years have gone, we too are locked into a relationship with Jesus that we can't see, a relationship with Jesus that seems to be marred with distance. The confusion of distance is here. And so we're going to look at this season that we live in, this season that we live in, and what is it that marks this season? What is it that, that we begin to understand what God is doing in this? And so first, we're going to take uh, the look that this season of hardship is here, that there is something in this present age that is really really hard. I remember when the hardness set in for my long-distance relationship. It was October, so Whitney and I had been dating for a few months, but, but there I sat in this, uh, like the most bare-bone, concrete cylinder block stairwell, right, hiding from my roommates 
because I had tears in my eyes and my voice was yelling, right? Because uh, we'll just call him Joe Schmo, right? This, this dude that was in the college ministry back home where Whitney was, he uh, had just casually, as friends, invited Whitney to come to a costume party, right? And he just, such a good friend, had casually suggested that they go dressed up together, right? Like as a couple, and they could go do this as friends. And I was beside myself thinking, how could she be so stupid? Or, or, or is it that she's not stupid? Maybe, she's, maybe she wants to go with him. Maybe she's not being honest with me. Maybe she's playing me and going along. Maybe she's naive, but either way, what am I doing? Have I made a mistake? Is this all right? The disciples, Jesus, as he tells them, I'm going to be leaving you for a little while, are equally confused and, and equally concerned. Of course, first up to the bat is, is Peter. Lord, where are you going? Well, Jesus, what do you mean that you're, you're leaving? What do you mean that you're going someplace that I can't come? Peter, feeling the angst of this separation, this this fear of separation, he hides that fear with, with a boast, right? Jesus, surely there's no place you're going that I can't come because Peter uh, tries to, to get rid of the confusion and the doubt and the fear that he feels by their separation by pretending like he's got it all under control. Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Peter is certain that, that if, he, he, if he can just name his confidence, if he can, by maturity and resolve and power, that he can push through this hardness in such a way that this relationship will remain intact, that they don't need to say goodbye for a little while, that they don't need to deal with the hardness of separation. And I think uh, in, in our long-distance relationship with Jesus, we know folks who are like Peter, because maybe you look in the mirror at one yourself. They're the people who, who tend to be the loudest voices advocating for religion, the loudest voices that are saying that everything's okay, the, the voices that are least likely to say, I've got a problem, the least likely to confess, the least likely uh, to repent the least likely to be compassionate, the least likely ultimately to have honesty. Because they want to say, I'm such a good Christian. I do the right things, and thus this separation is nothing, right? It's the, the Christianity maybe that you hear on K-Love, right? I used to know problems, but now I know Jesus, and all my problems have gone away. You see, Peter is in denial, He's in denial of the hardship of this present time. But right on his tails comes Thomas. And Thomas has a different sort of problem. He, he wrestles with this separation in a different sort of, of way than Peter does. Thomas, Jesus has, has just told him, you know the way. You know where I'm going. You know what to do. And, and Thomas goes, uh, no, I don't. See, Peter was in denial, but Thomas was, was paralyzed with insecurity. I'm sorry. 
with anxiety and insecurity. Jesus, you said I know where I'm supposed to go. You know what I'm you said I know what I'm supposed to do, but but I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe you in this life, in this relationship with Jesus, feel some of those things. You know, I I think I've got it. I think I've understood what I've been told Christianity is. I, I think I know what it is I'm supposed to do, but 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 really I don't know what I'm doing. It's a feeling uh, uh, that, that while you have been a Christian for many years, you seem to be locked into a dreadlock of, of, of days in which your work doesn't seem important or inspired, where relationships are, are stuck in neutral, where you say, has, has being a Christian, has being in relationship with Jesus actually brought any change? Is this all there is? Is this it? Is this the life that Jesus has promised? Thomas is insecure. He's insecure that he's missed the memo. He's insecure that somehow this hardship is all that there is to life. Finally comes Philip. As Jesus uh, tries to speak to Thomas, Philip raises his voice not not in uh, in dis, not just in denial or insecurity, but in doubt. Thomas says, "Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us." Jesus, if you're asking us to keep living, to keep believing, to keep doing the things that you set us out to do while you're not here, then at least show us the Father. Show us what it is that we're working for. Show us something that we can hang our hat on because are we sure that this is even a thing? Are we sure that there's proof? Is, is it real? Is it worth the risk that we're barking up the wrong tree because all we're going to be left with is an invisible God? See, Philip dealt with the separation in doubt. And I say this to you, and I think John shows us these pictures because to have faith in Christ in this little while, as Jesus puts it, in this little age, is to, to live uh, in a concrete staircase wondering, have I made a mistake? Did I get it wrong? Am I confused? But even as we wrestle with the hardships of here, Jesus tells us that something big is coming. Because while we wrestle with the fears of have I gotten it wrong or, or have I made a mistake, Jesus is offering us, but maybe you've gotten it exactly right. Let not your hearts be troubled, Jesus says in, in, four, in 14 verse 1. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. While it is hard in this season, there is something big that is coming. I remember sitting in my dorm room looking at a cinder block wall that was in front of my desk. And there was my uh, physics homework uh, book that was laid out. But as I stared at that wall, my mind was in a very different place. 
You see, my mind's eye was envisioning a very different sort of future, a future that had this little girl named Ellie Winkler in it. You see, Whitney had, had shared how she had this childhood dream of having a daughter that she would name Ellie, but in my mind's eye, I had given Ellie a last name, right? She wouldn't just be Whitney's Ellie, she would be Ellie Winkler, right? The vision of, of this life, of, of marriage, of family, of a beautiful little girl set a different sort of picture in my brain as I sat musing about where this relationship was going. As I wrote a Valentine's letter that I was kind of not sure if I really wanted to say all that I was saying, the confidence to go ahead and put that letter in the mail came not because I was uh, so confident in myself, but because the vision of that beautiful future was so strong in me. You see, the frustration and the stairwell arguments hadn't ceased. They hadn't disappeared. They hadn't evaporated. No, but the dream of the future was taking shape. The dream of what could be, uh, the beauty of what, what that something big was that was coming was forming in my mind. And I convinced my heart and my mind that this separation by distance was not going to last forever. That in a little while we would be together, that I convinced my heart that there was something big that was coming that would make it all worthwhile. Jesus tells his followers that in the future that they will be together, right? He says, in my father's house there are many rooms. And I remember as a little kid, like thinking of this as being like the architectural layout of, of heaven, right? Like, well, okay, these got to be mansions that are, are golden because, you know, we got to work together all of the biblical images together. But you kind of miss the point. You see, in, in the ancient times, a family would live together in a compound. As, as new uh, sons rose and took wives, they would just build on extra rooms onto the family compound, this extended compound in which the family would do life together. Jesus was telling them that there's coming a day when there will be provision and, and ample room, but there will also be a, a familial closeness. I go, am going to the Father that we united might dwell and live with you as a family. And so he says in, in uh, 1622, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. That, that's something big, isn't it? In that day, he says in verse 23, you will ask nothing of me. You'll ask nothing of me because you won't have need to ask anything of me. Because your needs, your, 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 your desires will be met in your proximity with me, right? That where I am, you may be also. Jesus doesn't erase the doubts of Philip or the insecurities of Thomas or the denials of Peter. What he does is he promises them that, that while they know the hardness now for a little while, there is coming a day in just a little while when something big will come into their life. John compares it, of course, to the coming of a child. 
I did really well the last time I used Whitney's birthing experiences as a, a sermon illustration. Right, but, but I really will remember that day forever when Ellie Winkler became not just a concept but a reality. A room that was filled with these bright lights and this team of medical professionals as they huddled all around us and barking commands to one another as they, they brought her into existence. But somehow all of the pain and the blood and the sorrow and the sleepiness seemed to disappear into this little face as she was laid on her mom's chest. All of a sudden this room full of chaos and worry and fear became very, very, very small in the person right? Because the day had come. God tells us that there is coming a day. There is coming a day when the hardness of this life, the hardness of this temporary season that we live in will become like the, the crowd of that room. It'll disappear in light of the beauty of that moment. But Jesus in this passage does not just tell them that the season that they live in will be hard and that the future will be beautiful and, and glorious. He does not just define this season, this season when we are in a long-distance relationship with Jesus as being uh, something that's hard in the present or, or, or how big our future joy will be. He, he, he shows and he demonstrates throughout this text that some of the power of the future, some of the beauty of that coming day has leaked into this little while. It's soaked into this little while so that while we wait, we experience little tastes of what's coming. So it's not just that something hard is here or that something big is coming, but also that something powerful is already underfoot. The disciples probably missed it, at least the, the first times as they reflected on this, because they're so absorbed in their fears of what is going on in their lives and in their worlds about what is to happen. But in this text, Jesus repeatedly describes an age in which they would live, a, an age that is, is filled with sprinkles of the power that is still coming. Jesus says in 16, 22 to 23 to 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You notice he's not saying that your joy will may be full someday in the distant future. He knows that that's locked and loaded. Jesus is talking about this age in between, this age when they can't see him face to face. And he is saying that there is, in this season of time, a period in which your joy may be full, even if it is hard. The promise of the future, the promise that Jesus says is, I go to prepare a place and I go to prepare a room right that where I am you may be also. Because in this mysterious concept, Jesus is saying that I must go and be united to God. But he's also saying, but because I go, you are united with God. You see, Jesus didn't just go on vacation. Jesus went to the cross to make amends for sin. Jesus didn't just go on vacation. He rose from the dead and defeated the powers of the devil. Jesus didn't just go on vacation. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, where he intercedes and pleads on our behalf. 
to such the point that he says here at the end uh, of our passage that that he says I will I will speak to the Father on your behalf, but I don't. But I do not say that I will have to ask the Father on your behalf because the Father Himself already loves you. Jesus is saying that while it's it's future for where the disciples are at that moment, it's past for us that Jesus leaves so that we have a connection to the Father. And that connection is life with Jesus. Because it is Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is not just saying, it's going to be hard for right now, and, but the future is going to be beautiful. He's saying that I am present with you in relationship even now. That as you and I are united, you will be united in some mysterious way with the Godhead of the Father. That the power of the future is already underfoot. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but to such an extent that the very power of God to bring to fruition his redemption and hope is available to you to ask, for you to dream, for you to live in this present age. But oftentimes we're so disillusioned and we're still stuck back with the disciples in our confusion that Jesus left at all. We're disillusioned and and disoriented and confused by the pain and the doubts and the worries of this world that we can't begin to dream about what Jesus is saying here. That life here in this moment, in this time, is already being transformed into the fullness of God's life. This present life is not just arguments in a concrete stairwell, but this life is a consistent, growing manifestation of the future into the now. A future that we live with security and assurance, a a present where we live with a job and a purpose, a present where we live with a present and an abiding helper, as we'll find in the coming weeks. You see, as I look back at that long-distance relationship, that long-distance dating of Whitney, our freshman year of college, the the picture that stuck is emblazoned in my memory is not the picture of the, the confusion and the sorrow and the angst of the stairwell. The picture that comes to my mind is, is, is of a uh, concrete retaining wall outside of the Performing Arts Center there at, on the campus of U of I, where Whitney had come to visit me, right? And it was a spring day, and the wind was blowing, and we, we sat together on that retaining wall with our, our, our feet hanging out below us. But in that moment, I was saying goodbye because our visit had come to an end. In that moment, she was about to walk, I was about to walk her to our car, and she was about to, to leave once again, but somehow things had begun to change. We had already both enrolled in a, uh, in a Bible college where we would be moving and attending together the, the following year. The security of being together found its way into my heart that we could engage with the present in a new way. We would, in fact, be together. We would, in fact, do life together. We would, in fact, know that we are loved and cared for with each other. And so we could deal with the present goodbye in a different way. 
no longer trapped in confusion and jealousy or fear, but with, a, with an excited anticipation that the sorrow of that moment would lead to the glory of the future. You see, it was still hard, and I still didn't want her to go. It was still hard, and I was still confused to why we had to do life separately and, and why we would continue to do life temporary, but I knew that it was temporary. I knew that it was a little while. And I knew that some of the beauty of what could be in our future relationship was already working in me so that I did not need to be uh, a fearful and afraid that I was about to lose. The promise of the future was bigger than ever because we were already doing life together, even if doing it miles and miles apart. The promise of the future was as big as ever because something was all powerful was already afoot between us. You see, that long-distance relationship took its form because there was a reality in the present that we were together. If I had known what I was saying when I told myself I was going to marry the girl, I wouldn't have been nearly so confident. Because the sorrows and the tears and the bitterness to this very day have come in unceasing succession to one another. Right, The hardness of the present moment, the distance that still exists between us, though we live in the same house and share the same bed, have not ceased or stopped. But the beauty of what God is doing in and through us, what God is doing in between us, puts those trials and that hardship into the right perspective. That God is using those hardships to create in us a new life. A life that is way bigger than any relationship between two people. A life in which we see the glory of God's love perfecting us. The glory of God's life forgiving us. The glory of God's life leading us to invest and to encourage and to work in God's kingdom. And so we like, we all like Whitney and I live in a long distance relationship, but that doesn't mean that our relationship is nothing but pain and toil. Our relationship is built on what is coming and in fact what God is already doing. And so we cry a tear in our confusion today, but we live knowing that our, G, that our Lord and Savior said just a little while and you will see me again. Pray with me. Father, we gather today as people who are confused often, who doubt constantly, who are prone to denial and distortion and insecurity, Lord, because we don't know where we stand with you. And yet, Lord, if we hear the voice of John, we know that you have already done the work. You've already brought us into a place that you are already working in our very midst to bring us to the fullness of life. Lord, give us the faith for this little while in which we live, this little while in which we wait for you, in which we wait to be with you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.